You're listening to the Welcome to My Life podcast. Each episode, I will be speaking to an influencer, somebody who is influencing us all for positivity. Thank you for listening and enjoy. And we are live. Welcome to my life. Episode two. This has really actually been a third episode. This is three. We actually had an episode with uh, Yehuda Blonder, which I didn't publish. It was a good episode. I just I lost the footage. So this is episode three. Welcome to my life. I'm joined with my guest tonight, Ari Sohn. Ari, how are you? Hey, Yossi. I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for inviting me into your dining room. Well, and thank you for um, inviting me to your um, your room. Back in. Really Back in. Back in. Yes. What, what happens Back in the Batcave? Do you, like, turn into Bruce Wayne? Or you turn to... Magic. Well... I signed uh, some waivers, so I can't really say some private information. It's like release forms. I'm sure you guys yeah, understand. Well, uh, much like the release form that you had to, I had to sign in order to to get you on to uh, Welcome to My Life, uh, presented by exactly, Radio. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it was pretty extensive. By the way, I was I was pretty shocked about that. Most people do not require such an extensive release form, but uh, kudos. Well, most to people you. aren't like you and I, or you and me. Grammar's not my thing. Either way, that's fine. I went to issue. Grammar's a secondary thing. Sorry. So, what are you up to these days? Let's start with that. So, I have a few things happening in my life. I recently got into pickle making this past summer. And, um, oh, big time. Big time. I was on one of those endless YouTube adventures at like 3 in the morning. And for those of you who don't know, I have the opportunity to live in South America here in Medellin, Colombia. And I was privileged enough, privileged enough to go visit a lot of farmland down there. And I kind of built up, this, developed a liking for agriculture and farming. So when I got back last summer, Just to be South clear, America. You're in Medellin, Colombia, and you picked up a. No, no, Medellin. Medellin, Colombia. And you picked up a mm-hmm. liking towards agriculture. Okay. Agriculture and farming. Yeah. Got it. So when I got back to Elizabeth, New Jersey, I'm like, there's only one logical thing to do. I got to get myself a greenhouse. So I went on Craigslist and found myself a mini greenhouse. It was six foot tall by two feet wide and two feet deep. I had like five shelves on it. Like, I'm going to become the next old McDonald's. So I went to Home Depot, got some like pre-potted plants. I got a bunch of herbs and vegetables and I was on a roll. I'm going to become a farmer because that's what you do when you have a greenhouse. So there I am, 3 a.m. on a YouTube adventure and I'm searching easy crops to grow. Like 20 minutes later, I'm searching how to grow and develop a zucchini farm because that's how YouTube algorithms work. Obviously. And then <laughs> I started... Then that led me to like cucumber farming videos, which led me to a BuzzFeed pickling video. And I'm like, pickles are delicious. I got to give this a try. Okay. So um, I went down to the Christmas tree shop the next day, got myself some pickling jars, got myself all the required ingredients, which consist of cucumbers and then vinegar, 
salt, sugar, and some spices. I made my first batch. And here we are uh, five months later, about 16 or 17 batches in, and I now wow. make three I make three flavors of pickles. Flavor. I have I have a garlic dill. I got sweet horseradish, and I have chili cilantro. And I know there's all the cilantro haters out there. Oh, it tastes like soap. You'd be Delicious. making it for yourself. Who cares about the cilantro haters? No, I'm I'm no, I mostly make them for my friends actually. Um, but that was the thing. Like I only had these small jars. Right. I could fit maybe just like a few cucumbers in there, and like I'd upgrade from like a pint-sized jar to a quart. And now and then to like 48 ounces. And I was rocking the 48 ounce jars for a while. Oh, wow. And then about a month ago, I was like, you know what? I'm going to ramp up my operation. I want to sell to some of my friends. So I go to um, go to and um, I find exactly what I wanted. I got the jar, and I come back home, and I walk home with this new jar, really happy, and I walk in, I see my brother, I'm like, hey, bro, I just got a two-gallon jar. Of what? Like, no, 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 I got a two-gallon jar. <laughs> He's like, okay, you're... And I walk in the kitchen, my dad's there. <laughs> I walk in the kitchen, I'm like, yo, Abba, I just got a two-gallon jar. He goes, of what? No, I got a two-gallon jar. Um, and yeah, I made an enormous batch of sweet horseradish pickles about a month ago, and amazing. So my next step is a six-gallon bucket. That's my next uh, ramp up in production. Six-gallon bucket. Oh wow! That can fit approximately thirty-five English cucumbers, like those really long ones. So. You're growing the cucumbers yourself, or you're actually you've given up on the greenhouse, and now you're just buying cucumbers. Oh, the greenhouse died in like three weeks. Oh, done. <laughs> I don't water it. As I believe, um, who was it? I think Winston Churchill said, "Ain't nobody got time for that." Right. So, I'm like, <laughs> Winston Churchill. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I know he said a, it during the Columbia a bomb farmer. Night. That's when he said it. Yes, exactly. It's like bombs um, are dropping, and he's like, "Ain't nobody got time for that," and that's where I believe it was. You're correct; it's a term was coined. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the meme didn't come out until like much, much later. Well, it's like everybody's um, keep calm, right? You know, that's like the big London thing, right? The oh yeah, yeah. That was for them. But um, that was oh, wow. So that's pretty yeah, cool. So that's my farming and then pickle story, and so now I just like dish them out to my right yeah, I have. A, You're browning cucumbers. A jar. See, the screen's not even big enough to show how big the jar. It's a two-gallon jar. You can move back, and then we'll, I'll see it. So on my rolling chair. What's the difference? <laughs> Show me in ratio. That's pretty good. So what's the difference between the Israeli pickles, which are called cucumbers and brine, and I guess an American pickle? Mm-hmm. Would you know the difference? So I cannot speak on behalf of all those, but what I do know is that um, a lot of it is done in the way they are pickled. So I know Israeli pickles, first of all, they often use Persian cucumbers, like the really, really small ones that come in packages of like six or seven and they get pickled whole. Um, an interesting way how they get pickled is you put in all the spices and the vinegar or whatever, you traditionally turn the jar upside down and you put it outside in the sun. Um, I don't do that. 
I pickle my pickles in a fridge. Um, I'm not a big fan of developing bacteria. Right. And um, I also don't pickle my cucumbers whole anymore. My first three batches I did whole using Kirby cucumbers, and it took too long for the brine to penetrate the flesh. And when I went to my favorite fruit and vegetable market, they were all out of Kirby, and they only had those really large, like, foot and a half English cucumbers that come wrapped in right. plastic. And I discovered that if I cut it up into 16 into spears, right. they can pickle in six days. Really? True story. So you're on a journey of pickling. Oh, no, that's just what I do on Tuesdays. That's Tuesdays. Wow. Okay. So, <clears throat> what is preserve us? Now that then that we have, oh, now that we have that Tuesday covered, what are you doing on Monday, Wednesday, mm-hmm. Thursday, and Friday? Um, and Sunday and Saturday nights. Okay. So, fortunately, I came prepared. Preserve us. Thank you for the shout out. Um, preserve us is my tech startup which is something that is very near and dear to me. I've been working on it for about a year. And in short, I make Google Maps for cemeteries. Oh, wow. Yeah. Google Maps for cemeteries. Google Maps for cemeteries. So what, how does that process of Google Maps for cemeteries? Because everybody's familiar with Google Maps. It's a car that drives around with six cameras on top of its roof. What is mm-hmm. Preserve Us... Google Maps for Cemeteries. I, I think for so, short, it's probably just called Preserve Us, not the full name, which is Preserve Us Google Maps for Cemeteries, unless that is. Oh, no, no, we're actually called Preserve Us. If you, anyone knows how to read backwards, it's Preserve Us Cemetery Digitization. Oh, wow. That is the technical term. But what we do is we make replica maps of cemeteries online in the cloud, and we create them in order to have an interactive database, searchable database, so people can find where buried loved ones are. So instead of doing a Google search of where your local Starbucks is, and when you get the results, um, the exact GPS location pops up with the hours of operation, the the ratings, the photos. Um, Instead, you search Barbara Moskowitz, and it takes you to her exact location, and it has first name, last name, relevant dates, Pictures of her headstones, inscriptions, yard sites, stuff like that. That way, every memory gets preserved, and we're able to help people retain uh, their legacies for generations to follow. Oh wow, that's that's heavy. That's Thank like you. it's like some people start things and like mm, that's like that's heavy, you know? Like yeah, I don't know. I I guess how, how did how did preserve us start? How did you like? Is it one day like? you know, I got, I got an idea for a niche product. <laughs> so um, it all started Giant warehouse, around, which is logistics. Uh, Maven was taken already, so this is like second. So as I mentioned, um, I came back from South America last year, totally unemployed, nothing to do. And like I had like some part-time jobs, making a few dollars working for a moving company. And my uncle in Albany, New York, reaches out to me last July and he's like, Hey Ari, like you're back from Colombia and unemployed, right? I'm like, 
Yes, Uncle Mark. Thanks for bringing it in. I appreciate it. I don't have a job. <laughs> By the way, I feel like everyone has an Uncle Mark. Like, there's a huge percentage of people that have an Uncle Mark. I'm, that's just my feeling. Mark. Sorry. We can share. I'll ask Uncle Mark if he's okay to share. You know, if you don't mind, that'd be great. Like, okay. Uncle Mark, I got so, a friend. Yes, he needs an Uncle Mark. <laughs> um, and he's like, well... Um, our shul in Albany, where I used to live, by the way, I grew up in Albany. Um, the shul there is 170 years old, and they operate three cemeteries, which have been relatively neglected over the past six generations. And my uncle decided that he wants to digitize the community's cemeteries. He's part of the shul board, synagogue board, and he wanted to um, invest some time in preserving the records of our community, uh, preserving the burial records. So he's like, Ari, you know, if you come up to Albany for the summer, I'll give you the gig to digitize the Shul Cemetery. I'm like, well, what the heck is digitizing a cemetery? He's like, well, come right. to Albany, I'll teach you. So there I am in July, head up to Albany, and between July and October, I was able to digitized 5,500 graves across three cemeteries in Albany. Wow. And um, fortunately, the, the project was started about a year and a half earlier. My uncle would try to go in his free time. And then, like, my cousin um, would come, like, when he was home from college and, like, try to do 100 graves here, 100 graves there. But it was just so hard. It was very drawn out. And they never had someone dedicated to being in the cemetery every day documenting and digitizing. So when you say... And I would... When you say digitizing, right? Digitizing. Like, how, is it, how is it viewed? Mm-hmm. Like, what is digitization? So, so the concept of digitization is taking a physical, tangible record and converting it into something on a digital platform. So what we're doing, and well, what I did in Albany was there was some engineering company that has some software that the shul bought to make a replicated map that kind of looks similar to a grid of a cemetery overlaid on top of what looks like a Google map. And then you go into every plot and you go to each corresponding plot. You take a picture of the plot and you update and you document all the information that you can capture from the picture. And then you put it in its own unique profile in the corresponding plot in this digital map. And then do that 5,000 plus times, and you have now populated a replicated cemetery map in the cloud. Wow. So I hated the work. My first month there, got to Albany, and I know people think like Albany is near the North Pole. It's only two and a half hours outside of New York, and in the summer, <laughs> it's still 95 degrees. I remember I showed up my first day in the cemetery in jeans and a t-shirt, and I was schwitzing like crazy. I show up the next day in basketball shorts and a tank top and I would just go out there and the map was already made. All I had to do was take pictures and transpose and um, move all the information that I was able to capture in these pictures and put it into this database. Very, very tedious work. Most of my, I have 6,000 pictures of graves on my phone. Normal, very normal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I hate and I hated the work. I absolutely hated the work. But I was getting paid like two bucks a grave, so it's pretty good money. And I I would do like anywhere from five to six hundred a week 
working like 20 hours a, a week, like wow. quick, easy money. But then there was a turning point. What happened was um, I was in one section of the cemetery and I saw something that kind of troubled me. I saw a fallen over grave in the preemie section of the grave where all the, the preterm babies are buried. And I called my uncle because he was overseeing the project. I'm like, hey, Uncle Mark, like, I see a really small fallen over grave, like not even the size of an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. What do I do? He's like, all right, you have like 3,000 graves to do. Like, don't waste your time on this. Like, obviously it's a nice thing, but like, just move on. You have so much to do. Well, I, I felt kind of bad, you know, like there it is, like a fallen over gravestone. Like there's something I would have been able to do about it. And like, you know what? I thought maybe... You know, maybe there is something I can do about it. So let's say this is the grave. Right. It was, uh, it was falling over flat. All I did was I lifted it up, cleaned off the face, dug a new hole, and stuck it back in the ground. Next thing you know, baby Strolowitz, his record has now been brought back to life again, which was just falling over. I don't know how long it's fallen over. And I was cleaning up graves from the 1800s, the earliest grave I... I documented was from 1856, I believe. And like the second I cleaned that grave and like I said, brought it back to life in a sense, like my whole perspective on the matter changed. And that was the biggest turning point for me from that moment on any dirty or fallen over grave that I saw, I started cleaning. And if, I was, if it was big enough for me to lift, I lift it up, clean up, dig it in, dig a new hole and stick it back up. Um, and I wasn't really telling people about this. Um, my close friends knew that I was doing dig like cemetery digitization work. It's not the type of thing you want to brag to your friends about. Right. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be in Albany for the summer. <laughs> and let alone tell them that like I'm cleaning up graves. Like my uncle found out about it because he did a check and he saw all these clean and fixed graves. Like, all right, I specifically told you not to clean them up. Wow. And he's like, I'm like, Uncle Marcus, like, I have to do you this. Think that he, did, did he say like, don't because he thought you were going to charge $3 for a grave? You clean up um, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, just that we were very on a, we were on a strict time constraint because, you know, winter is coming. Like in July and all, they are already thinking about winter. Um, and then like the whole month of September, I knew that I would be away because of the holidays. Um, but like I just, I, any dirty grave I came across, I knew I had to clean. And I have a you know, entrepreneurial streak in me. And I started thinking about like, you know, I was looking at the software and I was using, it was like really, really bad software that the shul was outsourcing uh, this digitization to. And I realized like, if there's a way that I can make it more simplistic, streamline and make it look a little sexier, you know, I'm getting paid two bucks a grave. There's no reason why I wouldn't be able to charge like 15 to 20 bucks to record Bubby or grandpa's record forever. Like there's definitely more people would pay 20 bucks to record their ancestors history. But I'm like, I had other things on my mind, but like it, I was building a business in my head. Right. Um, anyways, fast forward. It's now October. It's um, my last week doing cemetery work. And at this point, any off time I had, I started breaking into other cemeteries and cleaning them up unannounced. I would show up, in like the sketchiest looking sweatshirt I could find work boots and these neon orange um, sweatpants that I have <laughs> with like a shovel, a broom, a whole wad of plastic gloves and my 
And there's one tool that I use to help me get really good leverage when I was lifting graves. It's a, uh, a, like a fork, like a, a hook for um, fireplaces, like a fireplace right. hook. And I was, I'd show up unannounced to cemeteries and start cleaning them up. And by October time, I cleaned up the three cemeteries in Albany, one in Washington, D.C., wow. and three in, three in New Jersey, so like seven in total, totaling like 8,000 graves. I wasn't telling anyone about it, but like whatever, it was the right thing to do. Actually, one time I got caught, and the cemetery manager was like, hey, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm cleaning up your trash. He's like, well, I don't want to get it out of here. Literally the point. Literally the point. I, I was going to um, ask, like, if if you've gotten like pushback from from the property, uh, you know, the management of cemeteries. Well, that's why I show up unannounced. Right. Like, I don't want to push. Like, it's the right thing to do. Like, I'll I'll be rude and annoying and break into a cemetery to clean it up. Like, I don't mind breaking the rules for that. Um, like, I found some like pretty absurd things in the cemetery. Like, I found a. Um, like a bed frame on top of a grave. I have found well, countless alcohol bottles. I found a tire, a car tire, and this is the best one, a yellow banana peel. Yellow banana peel. That's a fresh banana we're talking about. Correct. Yellow banana peel. That means someone within the last 24 hours ate a banana in a cemetery and placed it right on top of the headstone. Oh, they placed it on the headstone. It was on the headstone. Maybe they ran out of stone. There was maybe no stones nearby. Maybe a monkey was buried there. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> That's I'll so bad. Did you tell him to preserve us? <laughs> Here lies Curious George. Monkey. <laughs> wow. That, um, that's really something. That's... Yeah. And, um... But, yeah. Like I said, I knew I was doing the right thing. And I just felt like I had to do it. So... Like I said, now let's go back to the October 2018. It's my last week in the cemetery in Albany. And I'm doing some last digitization work. And some guy comes driving by the cemetery. And don't forget, let me, well, let me say this. This cemetery is right across the street from SUNY Albany, like a nice bastion of liberal open-mindedness. And this guy comes driving by in a pickup truck. He sees me and he shouts you effing Jew at me and drives off. Wow. Um, pretty ironic that this was three days before the Pittsburgh shooting. I don't know. Um, and whatever that like struck me and like, it didn't, I didn't feel threatened or anything, but you know, I, I could take him. I could take him, but <laughs> exactly. But like, I, <laughs> I wanted to like get back at him in some way and get some good karma in the air. And as I mentioned, like I wasn't telling anyone about my cleanup work. But for whatever reason, I felt that I just had to like publicize the fact that I was cleaning up graves. So I decided to take my phone and prop it up on a headstone and record myself restoring a grave. So what happened? I found a a stone once again about the size of a piece of paper. This is the this is the video that's on the website. Yes, and it was okay. flush on the ground, covered with like grass and dirt and stuff like that. Yeah. Like oh. Cool. Small headstone. I'll fix that. Uh, 25 minutes later, I unearthed a three foot, 200 plus pound headstone of a woman named Kayla, who was born in 1805 and passed away in 1859. 
And like, it was so, it was just such a remarkable feeling. Like thinking about it, it was a very tall and thin headstone. Clearly people in the 1850s were not the best at physics. And all my guess is that, you know, Albany winters are really rough. They put this headstone in. It wasn't sturdy. And this headstone must have fallen over 150 years ago. Okay. Between the wind and the snow. And the, it was covered in like two or three inches of dirt. And to have a three foot headstone, to make, have only like a foot of it visible, it must have been under the, fallen over for well over 100 years. And I, I was able to bring it back to life. Like I literally rebirthed this person's memory. And um, I made some like, snazzy video on some like free some app cool on my soundtrack. phone. It's that cool soundtrack. Cool soundtrack. And um I posted on Facebook thinking innocuously, like, here, let like let me show people what I was doing. Um and it got a lot of attention. Nothing viral, but I got a few thousand likes, a whole bunch of shares. Sorry, a few a few hundred likes, a few thousand views, a whole bunch of shares. And it was nice. I was getting, I was getting a bunch of pats on the back. Like it was really weird. Like everything I didn't want to happen was happening. Like I was like, Oh, are you're so nice. You're doing such a big mitzvah. Like I didn't want that attention. But like I said, like after having that anti-Semitic incident, like I thought it was good to bring some positivity into the world. That's you. Um, so yeah, I posted that video on a Wednesday, three days later, it's a Saturday night, Motsi Shabbat, which was the, sh- the Saturday of the Pittsburgh shooting. And I got a, random Facebook message from a guy in Manchester, England. He's like, Hey, I saw your video bounce around Facebook. Um, really interested in your digitization work. And we've had vandalized graves here in Manchester. Maybe we can talk. So that was three days after I posted the video. Another four days go by a week since I posted the video and I'm sitting face to face with this random Jewish guy from Manchester at a coffee shop near Grand Central Station. And turns out that he is a partner at a, a pretty big law firm here in New York, uh, several years my senior. And we started chatting. He's like, well, Ari, what are you doing with your life? I said, well, like I live in South America, now I'm unemployed, I've been doing cemetery work. I said, well, have you developed any ideas for the cemetery stuff? I'm like, well, I have this idea about like starting a company. He's like, cool, well, like, I want to invest in you. I'm like, wow. okay. Um, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I've been burned in the past by some people saying they want to work with me. And I'm like, you know, Johnny, I really appreciate it. But, like, I kind of just want to do this on my own. But I appreciate the offer. He's like, okay, fine. But let's stay in touch. He convinces me to meet up with him a, a week later. And... He's like, you know, Ari, I've been sharing your idea with a bunch of my friends. We've been able to put, we've been able to throw together a huge sum of money for you to invest. Um, we really, really want to do this. I'm like, buddy, like, I can't be bought. I'm not interested. He's like, you know, Ari, you don't understand though. Like, I've been a very successful attorney for the past two decades, you know, doing the same type of, you know, job very successfully, but it hasn't had so much meaning. And like, here I see you just cleaning up graves for fun on top of that, doing cemetery work and have like a viable business plan. And like, you're actually working on something that's meaningful and I want to be a part of that. And I'm like, I still don't know. Like I had, like I said, I have a lot of baggage from prior partnerships going awry and he's like, okay, fine. Last offer. I will resign from my law firm as partner 
to commit to you. I want to show you that I'm in this with you. Wow. So there's only one, at that point, there's only one thing I could do, right? Play hard to get. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I'll think about it. <laughs> that was the last week in October. And then I went to Israel for a month. Take notes, everybody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, he, he meet, while he's in Israel, he meets up with WeWork's found, the former CEO, Adam Newman. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, like, I had, a whole, I had the whole month of November 2018 to think about it. Um, and, like, we didn't really talk. Like, I think maybe I corresponded once saying that when I get back, we'll discuss it one more time. Um, and... There we are. I'm back. Me back now. The first week of December, 2018, in the same coffee shop. I'm like, all right, Johnny, I'll work with you on three conditions. I said, number one, uh, whatever seed money that you're able to pull together with your friends, I don't want it. I don't want to. I don't want to seem like I can get bought, and that just because you're giving me money, you now have a right. If you're going to be in this, I want to know that you're in this, and I don't want to. I I want to run this like appropriately, if we're a successful business, we can sell our product. We'll be able to bootstrap it on our own without outside funds or at least minimal outside funds. You're like, okay, cool. Check. So number two, you know, you're going to have to resign from your law firm. He's like, cool. Check. I said, number three, I said, the only, Johnny, the only reason we found each other is because you saw me doing cleanups for free. And if we go into business together, I, we'll only have a business where we continue to do free cemetery cleanups as a, a main tenant of our business model. Wow. And he's like, cool. Um, then March 1st, 2019, he resigned from his law firm. March 6th, uh, Preserve Us was officially opened. Wow. And now Preserve Us has an office in Midtown. And uh, we've been moving forward every day. That is wild. So... So Johnny has Johnny from from Manchester has mm-hmm. now because of meeting with you is not practicing law. Correct. He's oh, detail. He li- he's been living in New York for like eight years. But when he reached first reached out to me, he was actually happened to eight years, nine years, something like that. So yeah, you, he's back. He lives in New York. You've convinced someone to to stop practicing law and to digitize graves. I didn't convince anyone. I was just like very matter of fact. And, like the I told him of this of this video that you made, right? Think mm-hmm. about it. That's pretty wild. I was talking to my friend Simon, and uh, I started taking uh, in addition to the Thank You Hashem videos which I do of Rabbi Yosef and we put them on Thank You Hashem, mm-hmm. and we get a lot of views right each week. I started. I go to a coffee shop on Friday. Uh, his name is Jonathan. Uh, Yaakov. Sorry, his name is Yaakov. Jonathan. And I, I you know, on my phone, I shoot a Dvar Torah. Right? On my phone. Very simple. He gives a two, three minutes of our Torah. It's great. Through the app Cut Story. You ever seen the app Cut Story? Not familiar. It breaks up the video into exact increments of however you're publishing it. Whether it's an Insta story, whether it's a WhatsApp status, whatever it is, mm-hmm. it breaks it into those segments equally, right? I post that on my WhatsApp status each week. And so, you know, WhatsApp status, you can see how many views you have. So WhatsApp status, I have, it starts off with, you know, I, I, I always preface the first one with, we had great views last week. 
Here comes the week's week's Torah, right? And so from that video, you know, that video, which I put on WhatsApp status, then I posted the Torah videos, right? And then, so you see the drop-off of views, right? People who are there for fun, as opposed to people who want to, accept, you know, grasp Torah. And this week, he had a three-minute video he sent me. And we had over 60 people watch on my silly phone WhatsApp status of a Dvar Torah. That's three hours of Torah. Learn from me, just take my phone, holding up, at a coffee shop. Right? So, like, the power of these videos, and, and power of also good. It's not just, like, uh, good videos. People want to do good. I think, I think, personally, I think people innately want to do good. If they see something good and they share it, there's a reaction to it, right? I think, yes, there's I've absolutely, like, a, there's, there's a viral feeling when things are, you know, like fail videos, right? Like when a guy tries to do a, a flip uh, on his uh, skateboard and smashes his face or something onto like a, a railing. It's like, okay. But when you see something do good, right? And much like your video, which whoever hasn't seen it, uh, what's the URL, by the way? Preserveus.com. So if anybody wants to go to preserveus.com, you can actually go under, I think it's team, and you can watch the video. It's not on the team page. It's under... Um, it's under page. volunteer. It's under the volunteer page. Um, you can actually obviously sign up. People who want to help out, they can go there. Um, and they can, you know, see how to sign up as a volunteer to help this project. Exactly. But the video that you made, which has reeled in Johnny and other volunteers, mm-hmm. right? And to other people to do good, to inspire other people to do good, is on that page. I thank you. I, I, it's a it's a it's a power right it's a koach it's a koach 100% like, you used to used to do these viral videos right we had I remember when, when we were right back in the on day on snapchat on snapchat and you had a lot of views in these funny videos you were doing these diet videos remember diet videos how to eat cereal videos right you know and you have a koach but it's like to perform in American Idol yeah everything Okay. Yeah, but it, it's pretty cool. But now you've you've started this 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 startup. I mean, that's really what is it? It's a startup, right? And so it is the epitome of a startup. How are you getting customers? Who are your customers? I mean, obviously, the service is you're you're digitizing graves, you're cleaning graves, and you're digitizing graves, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I would I would say that the cleaning is not a service. It's a it's just like a pro bono thing that is. It just ends up happening after, like, in, like, due to the fact that we're doing our work. But um, it's actually really hard getting my first client, which I actually just got last week, by the way. I saw that. Um, thank you. When thank I saw you. that, I was like, um, we got we to gotta speak about it. And I saw that. I was like, yeah, people have to know about Preserve Us. We spoke when you were going to Albany, and I was like, what? That's like a weird thing. But when I saw it first oh, time. so I weird. I was like, I got to get Ari on the phone. We got to have a conversation. And that's why I saw that. And great. So here we are. Um, yeah, so customer acquisition, this has been a wild journey. And so in terms of people that we approach, I talk about my, I, you know, I've spoken my, with my, you know, to my, with, I've spoken about my idea with plenty of people and they say, oh, like, I know this funeral home I could put you in touch with. I'm like, I want to deal with funeral homes. And this is the analogy I give. Um, there's always someone who owns a cemetery. Cemetery, a cemetery is a, basically a real estate business. Um, and, if, and if I go over to the cemetery owner, all they care about is the property generating more revenue for them. So 
out on talk with the cemetery owners. Then there are the funeral homes. Funeral homes are kind of like property managers where they just care about collecting the rent checks. And if something's wrong, then they go and fix it. But they still don't care because if it's not you, it'll be someone else. I go, I've been going after communities and private community cemeteries because they actually have an emotional connection right. to the people there. And I'm far from the first person to do cemetery digitization. This technology exists in other platforms under cemetery management database software um, systems that exist. But they're there to facilitate the needs of the real estate owners and the property managers, the funeral homes. There's no one there facilitating the needs of the people that actually care about the tenants. So I approach communities and I say, how important is the continuity of your community to you? And of course, you know, our synagogue has been around for you know, hundred years. You know, we have members, we have presidents going back six generations. Um, and what I've noticed is that the people that actually run these smaller cemeteries, usually smaller cemeteries, privately owned cemeteries, unlike these massive, massive 30,000 lots you have out in like Long Island um, and Staten Island, um, all, almost every individual community has its own cemetery that operates and is usually run by volunteers in their, who are in their older years. So they're not really tech savvy. And then there is volunteers. The only reason why they're doing it is because they're taking care of these burial records because it's the right thing to do. So when I when I brought up the concept of moving all of their records from an Excel spreadsheet, which is like really advanced for most of these people that run these private cemeteries, a lot of them are still running index cards, manila envelopes, filing cabinets. And I say, I can take all this and put it in the cloud, and then I have to explain what the cloud is, <laughs> and say... <laughs> you don't have to worry about names with this cloud. <laughs> right. And um, I'm like, if you don't know anything about a record, you just search it in this interactive map database. So, so if someone calls up looking for where the Markowitz burial is, you don't have to look through and sift through a filing cabinet. And this is like literally like, the, like a scene right out of a... Like a a sitcom or something. I was on my first business trip this past June. I was visiting two cemeteries, one in Albany and then one in New Bedford, Massachusetts. The one in New Bedford, Massachusetts has 6,000 graves. Wow. It's a huge conservative shul that absorbed five other cemeteries owned by other conservative shuls that have closed within the past few years. And they take out this huge accordion briefcase and they dump it on the desk and say, here are our records. And they had one three-ring binder. And I said, how on earth do you find a record if someone's looking someone up? And I was meeting with the executive director of the shul and then the secretary. And lo and behold, the phone rings in this office in New Bedford, Massachusetts at the synagogue. Hello, this is Susan. And they said, oh, you're looking for a burial record of Jonathan Abramowitz. Oh, perfect. I have the things right here. And our meeting was put on pause for the next five minutes because there it is. Susan's like flipping through things, opening up, literally swimming through all these records. Five minutes later, she's like, okay, if you count seven rows from the path, <laughs> you walk four steps, you look for the Strulson gravestone, you walk right four and up two. Right. 
you'll find it. <laughs> and then I go into our database for um, where I have some like sample records. I'm like, oh, you want to find John Cohen? Boom. GPS. There it is. Wow. It's GPS tagged. Everything's GIS. Every, so when I go over to Headstone, like a huge component of this is um, photography. Like I said, I have 6,000 pictures of gravestones. But when I go to the cemetery, I go over to the Headstone, I take a picture, and from exactly where I'm standing, I can hit a button in our app that geotags the exact location where I'm standing, and then that creates a profile over the exact grave where I'm standing. So whatever information I put into that exact location where I am is the corresponding records of that grave. Wow. So you just, just map to and you're there. Yeah. Wow. And this is all... And if I can do it, anyone can. Well, I'm not even a tech person. So, so you've, you've created your own software. That's what I'm hearing. Yes. Wow. Like you've seen this need and you've, you've gone. I mean, like, like you're saying, when you, when you try to find the direction of the cemetery, like, what? How do I? But you've, you've taken from what was like this, you know, uh, engineering software from the shul mm-hmm. in Albany. Which it was, was cemetery easy. management software. Cemetery yeah. management. And now you've created something that I, I hope is a lot easier to enter information. Oh, yeah. My grandmother will be able to do it. Do you, do you have OCR? I hope you have OCR in the software. Or that's like, that's next level. Where OCR is, like I said, I'm not a tech person. Optical character uh, recognition. So when you oh, take a picture, we're, we're built. Up. So that's the next thing we're going to be building out. We have, uh, we're still in beta, um, which I love saying, by the way, because like I can screw up on the software ever. We're in beta. It's beta, it's beta, it's beta. Beta, it's beta. Um, but yeah, so I was actually talking to a friend of mine who specializes in machine learning automation. And he says that just from the, and the pictures I have on my phone, that's enough for this OCR to learn enough of the characters to eventually get to the next level of our software. The thing is, though, in a perfect world, every grave is nice and orderly and clean, but it's not. It's definitely not. Um, but I, I just want to jump back to talking about the the customer acquisition real quick. Sure. They were super interested, this uh, cemetery in New Bedford. They, and this is a hard thing about dealing with organizations, community organizations. They have a lot of bureaucracy. So we have our next cemetery board meeting next month. Okay. So what happens? It's now August. Okay. It's at the end of August and they say, we like the idea, but we don't want to start a project now. We're going to wait until after the holidays. After the holidays, holidays don't start for another four weeks, and the holidays are a whole month. Next thing you know, it's going to be November. And here we are in November. I've reached out to them a million times, and they ghosted me. Right. Okay? And then the, the customer in Albany, they are so old school. They said, we just don't see the value in this. We have an Excel spreadsheet. Why would I need more technology? Wow. I'm like, well, where are you backing up your your the records like oh we have a thumb drive uh. <laughs> I'm like <sighs> and then oh no no so, and I just kept on getting rejected and rejected and like I 
I hired my mom and my grandmother to do sales just to call out all their friends from various communities. And they actually got me a handful of leads, but a lot of these communities are like, oh, we just don't have the budget for it. Like no one builds out a budget for X amount of thousands of dollars to do a cemetery project. Very few communities do that. And um, what happened was we decided that uh, we had to do two things. Number one is we had to lower our operating costs with the software. So we were able to really, really lower our costs by about 99%. Can't give away my secret. Um, and then we realized... <laughs> <laughs> and we realized that, okay, what better way to offer someone than to make it free? So I go back to all the old clients, except for this really big one in Massachusetts, 6001. And I say, hey, I know you said that it was too expensive, but what if I do it for free? I got turned down um, the first five clients offered it for free. Wow. And what it was the either, they said, they said, we, what, like the one in all, they said, oh, we still don't see the value in it because we have our Excel spreadsheets. I was getting ignored. One community said, I sent them a whole pitch email. Are you interested? They replied, yes. Not even a period, just yes. No. And I said, excellent. Can I set up a time to meet? No response. No response. I'm offering you a service worth tens of thousands of dollars and no response. But what happens, it's now... Um, September, a few weeks before Rosh Hashanah, and my mom is at a Sheva Brachot of someone that we know. And it turns out that she was talking to the, the, the groom's grandfather, who used to be the rabbi of a shul, which has since shut down and operates their own cemetery. Wow. My son, and... My mom comes back from Shavar Brachot. She's like, Ari, you got to come to the next Shavar Brachot. You're not invited, but just come. So I show up and I start talking to his grandfather. And he thinks it's a beautiful idea. He's, and he says, this, this is beautiful, but let's talk after the holidays. After the holidays is October, November, and it gets cold. But I got to take what I can get. And I met with him last week at his house. And he has a very small cemetery, 250 graves. We're still looking for our first client just to test our software. Just to make And he's like, turning. Exactly. And I'm like, I wanted to offer you our service for free. He's like, oh, that's very generous. But don't you have operating costs? I said, yeah, 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 but that's fine. I said, well, all right, like, we have a budget to spend on cemetery upkeep. I'm like, great. I want to do it for free. He's like, no, all right, we have a budget to pay for this. Wow. Cool. I'm doing it for free. Because let's say I charge, I give them 75% off. For the, le- whatever amount is, let's say I would make this discounted price would cost him a thousand bucks, right? At 250 graves times $4 a grave, a thousand bucks. In my mind, as a business owner, an entrepreneur, acquiring that first client is so much more valuable than the thousand dollars that it would bring me because this client is so much more than Correct. covering my costs. And um, that leads me to my, another portion, portion of my reasoning why this first client was so important. Um, I have had the privilege to share my story with a handful of people. And uh, I was in my office like 
two months ago, and I have this thing where I try to introduce myself to anyone I can. And I try to remember something about them, and then I write their name down on a list with a fun fact and where I met them. That way, the next time I see them, I'll hopefully remember their name. And I was talking to somebody just out of the blue, never seen them in the office before. I work at one of these uh, co like a it's like a co-working space for adults. It's none of this WeWork stuff. <laughs> and I started talking, and um, the gentleman. You yeah. mean they're profitable? Um, Unlike WeWork. Hey, boom. Yes. Um, and I was talking to this guy, and he loved the idea. And he's like, um, I, I don't want to give too much, too much details away, um, but he got his start and the funeral industry um, it had some like huge, huge, huge uh, funeral industry. And now he's a big tech investor. And he's like, and um, I started telling him about and he starts laughing at me. And he's like, I, I apologize, Ari, but I'm the founder of X and Y company, which is a company in the funeral industry. And um, let's stay in touch. Okay. So you add me on LinkedIn. Two weeks later, I see him again um, in the office, and he's like, Ari, like, I want you to send me your pitch deck. I have some people that are interested in investing in you, okay? And um, keep in mind, back to last year when I first met Johnny, like, I didn't want funds. I wanted to be able to build my own. Um, but, like, here we are, you know, eight months, ten months later, and, like, I have a product that like I built on my own without any outside pressures from investors and something I'm really proud about. I can't ask for money from an investor if I haven't done anything yet. At least that's the way I felt. So I, at this point, I still hadn't secured a client. Um, I got to the point where I, when I go back to the office, I would try to avoid him because there he is asking me to give him the, the pitch deck. But I didn't have anything to show him. In my mind, like, I got to get a client no matter what. This client, yeah, cool. Like, I'll get a client under my belt. I might make 500000 bucks, but this one client will be enough to show proof of concept, which is what the investor is going to want to see. Um, and then, lo and behold, just like two weeks after this, um, I actually do Ulpan in the city twice a week on the Upper East Side. And there's a gentleman in my Ulpan, which is an intensive Hebrew learning, uh, Hebrew language learning, and he started talking to me. I mentioned Preserve Us, and he says, well, are you interested in investors? I said, wow. I most definitely am. He's like, oh, cool. We only do Series A and above, meaning we don't give seed money. Right. I'm like, in my mind, like, ding. I have this guy who wants, this current guy who wants to give Series A money, and then I have a guy who has the seed money back in my office. Like, if I can put all the pieces together, like I, I, I have all the necessary steps. All I need is one freaking client. And that's when I really push the free, 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 free. And um, the guy said, he actually already invited business to get reviewed by his investment company. Um, even though we don't have seed funding, I can't officially be, Preservers can't officially I will go back to Johnny and like got to push out this free clients. But there I am talking to that 
uh, my first client in his living room to say, I'll do it for free. I don't care. You have a budget. And um, we got it. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I lost you, but. I I dropped my video. That um, way we're going to have less issues. Okay. Right. I figured the if I yeah, so the video, then this client have, mm-hmm. meant everything. Wow, okay. that's pretty Works cool. Let me know. So if I pick up this this did it go as you expected? Oh, one thing I've learned from having my own tech company as a non-tech person is that nothing goes as expected. Absolutely nothing. Um. And like timeline projections and technology to work and the ability to have it function the way you want it to is, it's like a nice idea, but I've learned that I always have to adapt back to my new situation and be willing to change. And change is very scary because you can, I, I, there's one um, version of the software that we were working on for like two months. And it just wasn't working, wasn't working, but we were making so much progress. And at one point we just had to ditch it. We, it was actually a loss of a few thousand dollars invested into this. And we just, we just switched and it was hard, but that change enabled us to not necessarily lose track of where we're going, but just get on a different path. And that really sped up our ability to set up these next few state, stages of um, to work in the cemetery, which I will actually be there tomorrow with Johnny. Um, and I'm going back on Sunday. And um, once we can finish the cemetery project, we can finish the, the pitch deck and then go back to seed um, funder number one and then go to series A funder number two. Wow. That's so that's the game plan. And you know what? Odds are that's not going to go according to plan. But I'll be ready for it, whatever it is. That's pretty wild. So... Do you, in terms of local community, right? It's all community. Yes. It's a local community cemeteries. That's what you're dealing with, right? With my current client. With your current client. I mean, in general. I mean, that's that's really the your clientele is really dealing with local community who's looking out after their their deceased ones, their deceased loved ones. Yeah, and um, it's interesting. You would think that if you're pitching an idea about loved ones and death and uh, legacy, it wouldn't be a hard sell. But unfortunately, a lot of people, especially with my generation, thankfully, a lot of people my age, I'm, I'm 27, a lot of people haven't experienced death in the way that people a few, you know, a few decades older than myself do. So they haven't had that emotional switch go off where this aspect of their life is important. And one area why I felt it's so necessary for me to do what I do is there are a lot of companies out there, a lot of organizations that have digital burial records. But in order to go and retrieve them, you have to go through a middleman. You have to go through a various website or an organization and sometimes pay up to $30 to get the record. In my mind, like, if, how can I charge someone $30 to find out the yard site of their grandfather. That's just wrong. And our goal is to have all like, this wealth of information available to the public for free. So no one should ever 
have to question and worry about where they came from, who they came from, and what their roots are. And that's one of the big driving forces. I, I, like I said, how can, how can anyone say, oh, you want to find out about your great-grandfather? Yeah. That's I guess crazy. that's just not right. So, I mean, this is completely not in your, or is this in your wheelhouse, or is this completely like tangent-based? But when you're saying, you know, uh, heritage, right, and where you're from and where are from, mm-hmm. right, is a genealogy tie-in in the works? Yes. So one feature that I built out um, is that we have um, this function of related burials. So I can go into whatever grave I'm up to, and I can connect it to, like, if if Joan Schwartz is related to um, Shimon Schwartz, I can relate the two and add the detail of what their connection is. And then eventually you build up this huge spider web. And um, uh, our, our business model is to just, um, like right now we operate as a tech company. We have a technological service that we offer people. We show up with our handy-dandy phones and our laptops. We build this map. However, our goal is to migrate from a tech company to an information company. And hopefully a thousand cemeteries down the road, when I have over a million records, that's very valuable information. That's, that's you know, wow. if, we, if we arrive to that place, we'll be a big powerhouse. That I'm sure Ancestry.com will be knocking on our door. Wow. Oh, that's, I'm sure investors would like that. <laughs> That's that's pretty wild. I mean, this is it's it's heavy. Like I said before, this is like it's really heavy stuff. I mean, you're getting involved and doing something that people your age aren't aren't really doing. I mean, like, and that's the thing, though. If people we we live in the technological era now, right? If people like myself don't start stepping on the toes of the people operating these cemeteries who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, it can be another 30 years until my generation, the technological generation, has that switch. Like, oh, we need to start digitizing these records. Like, it is going to happen. But the reason why it hasn't happened yet, because this one area of this industry is still being operated by people that aren't as tech savvy. And I know you say it's heavy, but, Yossi, I got to tell you, um, the first time in the cemetery was very, it was very somber. It was, like, very surreal. Just, like, it did feel heavy. But, you know, I got kind of numb to it by, like, the third or fourth time um, where it wasn't creepy anymore. But the second I cleaned up that first grave, that switch went off, and it goes from this is not anything to be sad about. This is something to be proud about. Every single person that's helped clean up graves with me, which I can thankfully say has been a bunch of being able to get people to do this with me, um, they are protectors of history. And that is something that I think is very admirable at any time I can get volunteers to do this with me. And yeah, it's heavy, but when you, when you help an old lady cross the road, you know you're doing the right thing, and it feels right. good. And it's, there's nothing to be ashamed about. 
if it comes across the way you're bragging like I'm better than you because I get I'm doing all these mitzvot, then yeah, maybe that person needs to reflect a little bit about why they're doing the good deed. But I don't know. It's doing the right thing is like a drug to me and it never gets old. Did you it never gets old. Were you involved in, in youth volunteering services when you were growing up? Like is this something no. in your upbringing? No, no, the only thing to you. No, um, I never did, like, help with special needs kids. I just didn't have the strength to do it. I was always – I any, uh, that was uh, something that I, just, I never had the strength to do. I never even – yeah, I was never even, like, a group leader anywhere. The only volunteer work I really did growing up was cooking in soup kitchens um, and, like, helping prepare meals because I liked cooking. I still do. <laughs> um, but – um, I said the smoked uh, grilled pargiota sandwich. I mastered eating them. <laughs> good, 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 good. <laughs> uh, funny story. Someone dropped off smoked pargiota to my apartment once. That's weird. But, and, and you didn't um, get sick, so that's important. I didn't get sick. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I guess I've noticed is that everyone has their calling. There's, everyone has their thing that they connect to, and one isn't better than the other. Some of them have more immediate impact. Some more. Some of them have more public impacts, um, and that doesn't diminish the effort of any other form of um, giving back as anyone else's. And my belief is that no matter what you're doing, if you're doing the right thing and it comes from the right place, then like don't stop. Just keep on doing it. Wow. And for me, yeah, I'm that 27 year old guy that loves being in cemeteries. And yeah, there will come a day when a cemetery will be a sad place for me. And it has been. I mean, I've had my, my crying moments in the cemeteries when loved ones have passed away and it will happen again. Um, part, for me, I'm blessed that I still have so many important people in my life. Um, but when I walk into a cemetery, it's like, oh yeah, I'm here to do what I need to do. It's like, it's like when Tom Brady steps on a football field, he's there to do, like he knows he's there doing the job that he's supposed to do. So you're saying you're the, you're the Tom Brady of cemetery. The goat, please. You're the goat of death. <laughs> um, can we edit that? <laughs> uh, no, actually, ah, I would argue I am, I, that's something, I don't view this as having anything to do with death. I view this as life Correct. except that the life i'm interacting with has already left but it's still life i i literally document life i'm not documenting death it happens to be i one of the things i document is the day they died but i am documenting life that's wild is there been i mean other than the story of the you know which is you know in the video and you know it's gone you know quasi viral of you you know, uh, resurrecting this uh, tombstone, right? Has there any been, uh, like, a connection to, a, like, a family or, like, a family member who you've you've fixed up their loved one's, like, gravesite, right? And they're, like... Um, it's funny you ask that. Um, in terms of me personally, I'm very fortunate that um, I've, I'm the sixth generation to have lived in Albany, New York, so I can go back to my great, great great grandmother's grave, I believe, and visit. 
Um, and we know, we know how to get there. So like, I don't need preserve us. I personally don't need preserve us, <laughs> but you, all you guys do, all you guys do. Um, but, um, Mamash, the week after I finished the project in Albany last year, my uncle sent me an email. It was of some middle-aged woman in Florida. She emailed the synagogue, Beth Abraham Jacob, and, um, Congregation Beth Abraham Jacob in Albany, an Orthodox synagogue, and said, you know, I was born in Albany. I moved out when I was a little kid. I know my grandfather was, I never really met him. He died when I was little, and I've lived in Florida ever since. Do you have any records? And lo and behold, the secretary who got this email went into their database that I just finished populating and sent her an email with her, not just this one family member, but the three other family members, it was like the grandfather, the grandmother, and then the, the uncle and the aunt. Um, like a week after I finished the project. And I had that email forwarded to me. It was like a nice pat on the back. And then about two months ago, a woman from Sweden, I believe, reached out to Congregation Beth Abraham Jacob. Same thing. Great grandparents from Albany. Like I mentioned, the synagogue in Albany is 107 years old. She hasn't lived in America for decades, and she's looking for her family member. Boom. It's in the database. It's in the digitized map. And I was able to, um, we were able to help a woman in Sweden connect with a loved one. Can she visit? Wow. No, but she could see a picture of the headstone. She now knows what day to say cottage. And um, that, like, that person just closed the gap on like, decades worth of history. And one final story, I was in the city hanging out with some friends, and a friend of mine said, by the way, all right, I found out my, that my great-grandfather is from Albany. And I'm like, well, do you know what affiliation they had? She's like, I don't know. So there are several synagogues in Albany. I'm like, well, I only did this synagogue, but I ran a name, I ran, did a search. Lo and behold, I digitized my friend's great-grandfather's grave. Wow. And she went with her mother like 10 years prior to go visit. And they spent like a half hour just trying to find it, going row by row, up and down, up and down, up and down. And then boom, I just sent her a screenshot of where it was on the map with all the record information. And she started crying. And um, wow. those are the only three stories I have about that I'm aware of, of work that I've done. But, wow. you know. This volunteer army that you're you're putting together, right? Is yes. there an, what's the name of this army? Is pretty cool name. No thanks necessary. No thanks necessary. So I thought that was I was like that is a very cool name. Do, do the no thanks necessary army get like T-shirts? Is there swag? Um, we are actually we do have our swag uh, in design. Um, you know. Part of our whole mission, and like I said, we're a startup. You know, I'm not right. trying to pretend I'm something I'm not. Um, there's a reason why I live in my parents' attic in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and not balling out with my apartment in my uh, in South Beach. Um, but you know, I actually have a friend that's coming down to the cemetery on Sunday to obviously um, help out with some cleanup. But he also wants to. He's like a brilliant. Uh, operations logistics guy and he's just going to help optimize um like our whole process and like, like i told him like, i can't pay him i was like no 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 like no thanks necessary bro wow 
That was pretty cool. And I mean, knew it. Um, and um, yeah, you know, I feel like I thought about the name for a bit, and I don't know. It just, I don't know, it just struck me like the people that we would be helping. There's a living people, right? And they can say thank you, but the pe- there's the people that we're helping that have passed, and they they can't thank us. But that's fine. Like that's not what we're doing it. And it, it stem that name stemmed from me just breaking into my first cemetery, not looking for seeking any recognition. Like I don't need I don't need someone to say thank you to do the right thing. And that's that's where I got it from. It's almost like it, it's hear, hearing your your story, right? And hearing your experiences. It it sounds to me that you're more of doing it for the person who has lived than the person who is living. Like you're doing it for the person who has lived and has lived through their life. And here's their record, right. Of being on this world other than, you know, a legacy being left behind in terms of familial, you know, but here's their, you know, where their remains are and here's their tombstone, you know, and you're, Mm -hmm. you're, I guess, like you said, you're regenerating it and it's almost like you're, you're doing it more. And that's kind of what the no thanks necessary is like, you know, the person who would really gain most from it, you know, which, you know, which is somebody saying Kaddish for somebody who's passed on, the person who's really benefiting from that is the person who's passed on, right? And here it's like the no thanks necessary. It's like for the, for the person who has lived and can't give you thanks, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, physicality of a thanks, you know, yeah, you're going to get Zuchusim, obviously, you know, but the actual thanks. Whatever that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like that's, ha- have you... Because of, of your connecting, you know, our, our past to our present, right? I mean, that's what it is, right? You're connecting people's mm-hmm. past to the present. Has it helped you in terms of, of uh, like, a spirituality? Or has it, like, helped you on, in, like, has it, has it hit you on any level like that? or A million percent. Um, I happen to be a very spiritual person. Um, and I... This is going to sound really heebie-jeebie and like wishy-washy and take it at whatever value you want. But I remember the first like big, big, big headstone that I, I restored. It's probably like maybe like 100 pounds, like two feet. Um, and it was totally covered up by it. It was actually completely buried underground, completely covered. Um, but there was a... Um, a footstone that was visible. And then in line in the row, there was a headstone up to its left and a headstone to its right. And this headstone was missing, like <laughs> missing. It's underground. So I just started digging. And like, after like two inches, I found this headstone and, um, I was able to clean it off and it was actually in pristine condition. Like it fell over so perfectly. And then all the words were preserved really well didn't decay at all. And I, I fixed it, stuck it up upright again. And, um, I, ac- I actually cleaned that right before the holidays in 2018. And when I got back the following month at the end of, after the holidays, like three and a half, four weeks later, I walked by again and I had this weird energy that I felt of just something that wasn't there is now there. And like, let's say, you know, I, wow. I felt that you know, Chaim or, or Freda, whoever, they were there. And I got into this habit of any grave that I would fix whenever I would walk by, I go, what's up, how you doing? 
And if it was because they were there now. They were gone. They were underground. They didn't exist. They existed. Then they disappeared, and then I brought them back to life. And I felt like, I, I don't know, I just felt like they were there. Whatever that means. But I, I, I had that connection. I just, it, it was a wild, wild feeling. And I know, if, see, I can't go on the street and tell people I, I talk to headstones. But between you and me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, um, yeah. That's, that's something. I mean, that's, Listen, mm-hmm. uh, color vote to you. You know all the all the power. Thank you. Um, you know that's it's it's in addition to being a a venture. You know of yours in terms of you know hopefully it'll it'll pay you know fiscally, um, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's it's a also slash altruistic. You know, like you're doing something that is you know. It, you know, I, I can't say enough. I keep on saying it, and it's like the third, fourth time I've said it. It's heavy. You know, it's like there's mm-hmm. something, there's gravitas to it. You know, it's like yeah. somebody's, you know, like he opens up a uh, fixed flat place, and he's like, oh, okay, I have a business idea. I'm going to open a fixed flat place, and mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, fill card tires, and I'm going to franchise it. And that, like, no, here's like you're you're helping people. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's... You, the, I, you hit it exactly on the head, and that's why I'm doing this, um, in, in a past life, I actually used to have a job at doing digital marketing at a home health care agency in Brooklyn. And just making up for it? Taking all of them? <laughs> <laughs> Don't say I actually, I happened, I happened to love my coworkers. It was not a difficult job, but it was, it was a very empty job. Like, I know I was helping people get health care, which, which is oh, it's beautiful, by the way. Like, I, it's an incredible need. Um, but... It just seems that my whole mentality towards having a job was just like stability and trying to get the next raise or like trying to get a promotion or like leave company, go to a better job. It just seemed like never ending. Um, And it definitely served its purpose. Like I needed, when I had that job, it was a huge blessing and opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, But I, I never felt that sense of, satisfaction on a deeper level and I was in a position where I was able to quit my job and take on something that had a little bit more meeting and if not now when you know so gotta give it a shot cool all right well thank you so much for for joining us if people want to be in touch with you in terms of preserve us how do they get in touch with you guys um the you can always check us out on our website, uh, www.preserveus.com. I'm sure Jesse will be providing all the links available somewhere, but I'm very active on Instagram. Follow us at Preserve Us. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and YouTube as well. All right, cool. Well, thank you so very much, uh, uh, Ari. <clears throat> I appreciate it. Thank you for, for joining us. Uh, thank you for joining. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. And welcome to the live. Uh, and call it Kavod, all the power, brother. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.